This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote idea to the meaning of the word? Hello. What's up, Jason? Me and Andrew? Andrew? That living the dream, putting my phone on silent. What about y'all? <laughs> Doing the same now? Yeah, I guess I should too, right? What's good? What's new? If you've been following me on Twitter, I've been tweeting a little bit about doing notifications in Rails and trying to build... I don't know. Have you guys used any notifications gems in Rails or have you built it from scratch or what have you done in the past? I think we did it at my first company, but I think we might have done it homegrown with yeah. React or something. Okay. But it was like a service that would like like notifications across... So like, okay, yeah. So it was definitely something we made, but it would push into several apps mm-hmm. because we were kind of applications. So I've never worked with it in Rails. I worked with it in a Laravel project, but that's because it's baked into Laravel right. notifications as a first class citizen. So I was like, well, I might as well use it since it's here. Yeah, I've always built stuff from scratch because there's a few gems like, what is it, activity notification? And that one's built on top of the public activity gem. So kind of like if you're building a feed and you want activity feed stuff, you can use the, you know, the, the, that library to create and render the views. And then you can turn on whether or not you want email or SMS or whatever types of things. And then there's a few of the other ones, like the one that Polkin wrote, Active Delivery or something, which is kind of based off of the delivery notification concept they have at Basecamp because they extracted that. Kind of seeing a little bit of that as a teaser um, on one of DHH's videos on writing software well. And that looks pretty good too. It's pretty similar to what I'm doing, but it was kind of almost too... I don't know. Most of what I've seen is... It's hard for me to wrap my head around a lot of these. Like they have terminology like there's one gem and I'm forgetting the name of it it's on the tip of my tongue but it's got the axis notifiable you add that to your things and then you add axis target and then you set your your targets and it gets to be kind of confusing to me so I was looking at the Laravel notifications and ended up kind of like what if we applied this in, in the Rails context? And so that's kind of the route I've gone down where you can define a notification and set the delivery methods. So you can say like, this should be written to the database. This should be broadcast over action cable or sent as an SMS. And then you can define your formatting and things for each one. Because of course, a database notification that you want to render in your nav bar is going to look totally different than an email or an SMS. So it's been interesting to like go down that path. And I've been trying to make it so that, you know, these should run with active job, you know, because sending an email or an API request can be slow. So you don't want to, you don't want to do five of those and then really, really delay your request because you might have to notify hundred people if it's a comment on some really active thread or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what I've kind of done is like, I actually dove into the Rails source code for, uh, originally I was like writing some 
class and concerns. So you would include a module for the database one and email and SMS. And those are defined methods that were unfortunately all in the same namespace. So then you could easily write a method that would override another one, you know? And that was like something I was like, I don't want that. Like it seems dangerous to do that. So I actually ended up diving through the active model validation source code because with your validations, you're writing validates presence, validates format, you know, lots of different options. And those are all classes that are instantiated and passed. The, the record itself and the value and, you know, other options. So that seemed to me like a pretty good model. So we have like a base class where you define your notifications and it adds those class methods of deliver by email or deliver by database. And then you can pass an options to that and say, you know, the format and you give it a symbol and it will call that method when it's trying to write to the database. So it's like, hey, let me go ask this method. You return a hash and I'll use those as the attributes we write to the, to the database. And so far, it's working out pretty good, except I really wanted to have you be able to pass in like a class. So if you say deliver by and a class name, we could go instantiate that class and treat it as a custom delivery method. But as it turns out, if I'm passing all those options over through Active Job, the class names in Rails 6 and earlier are not serializable. You can do a string. I was like, huh, that's weird. So when I got the error in my test suite from trying this, I was like, that seems weird. Like, it's just a class name. Can't it like convert it to a string and constantize it? And I go look at GitHub and go to the Rails source code and I'm looking at the serializers for active job. And there's, a, there's an object serializer in there that can do modules and classes. And I'm like, that's weird. Am I doing this wrong? And I start looking at the commit and it's like September 2019. I'm like, okay, that's not, that's a while ago. Like this isn't in Rails 6. And so I open up the source code locally. It's not in Rails 6. It's in Rails 6.1. And I was like, dang it. So, you know, it's, it's been a good... It's interesting because Steve Polito, who talked to you last week, was it last week or the week before? It was last week, but it's going to come out after this episode. After this one, yeah. So we talked to him on that episode. He tweeted at me about writing gems is a good way of like really pushing your learning. Because this is... like Building something like this, you're writing at such a like abstract level, which is like writing Rails source code. Now, if you're on Rails core, you're writing nonstop abstract code the entire time. You're writing active job, which is like none of the Rails code does anything in the jobs. You know, it's up to the developer to go write that. And this is the same thing. Like, how do you write something that's so generic and flexible that people can, you know, bend it to their will? And how can I override a method? Because this user turned off SMS notifications. I need a way for you to be able to hook in and say like, you know, unless this user turned off notifications or if they turned it on or whatever. So it's been, it's been really good to like dive into a really Ruby heavy project again because 90% of the time I'm doing just Rails stuff. This one is like, 
flexing all your Ruby muscles of includes and class methods. And like, I went down the rabbit hole of there's a difference between a class variable, a class instance variable and a class attribute, which is like a rails addition or active support addition to classes. And they're all different, like a class variables shared between it and all its children, like the inherited classes. And then your instance variables are like, oh, I forget. They don't inherit. And then the class attribute does inherit, but I couldn't get the value of it to inherit. So then I had to like override the inherited method to dupe the value. And I actually did that because that's what Rails does in the active record validation stuff. And I was like, huh, okay. So it's interesting to like do this and then actually use Rails as source code as my template because I really want this to feel Railsy. And it gets to be that way because I'm like writing it the exact same way that they're doing it for active record validations. And yeah, I just thought it was a fun, it's been a really fun project. Uh, it's taken a lot longer than I intended it to. But at the end of the day, hopefully it's like a very native feeling way of adding notifications. But there's some, there's some nuances to it that are like a pain in the butt. Like if you write to the database, you don't have to write a notification to the database if it's just an email one and you don't need to put it in your nav bar or whatever. But if you also want to broadcast it in real time, you need to re- record that record in your database and then pass it over through your WebSocket version of the notification so you can you know, mark it as read in the browser. Those little nuances have, have been the thing that it, like make it complex because it's like, well, for this one delivery method, it's kind of an exception. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, let's run it first all the time. It'll be the exception, you know, and the rest of them we can maybe treat the same. But yeah, that's kind of, I mean, I've spent way too much time on that this week, but it's been a fun, fun project. And if anybody wants, they can hop on the GitHub and contribute or, you know, put in ideas or anything because it's pretty small right now and there's not a lot of concepts. It's just abstract. So yeah, love contributions if anybody's interested. But yeah. Notifications are, for me, always the thing that I want to add. It's always like I'll push it off. So like on my side projects, I'm like, man, notifications would be so nice to have. And then I like kind of launch a side project. I'm like, eh, I don't really want to write all that. So having something like this would help me be more inclined to implement notifications in a much earlier step of the process. Yeah, that's my goal. Because I want them baked into Jumpstart Pro like pretty thoroughly. And... I've done that so many times where I've built something without notifications because like they're honestly really complicated to get right. And you're going to want user preferences where you can turn on and off email versions or whatever. And that is not a simple thing. If you, especially if you want to broadcast them over action cable and then have email versions and you need to write them to the database, you don't always need to do each one of those. and you know, it, it is, the more I've gotten into it originally, I was like, cool, I'll hack this together in a day and we'll be done. And now I'm like, this might take a couple of weeks to get right. So it's, it's interesting. Like it is, it, it, I've had so many projects where I've not done notifications out of the box because it's like, eh, 
I don't need that right now. Like, or just emails are fine, you know? And yeah, I, I felt that. And yeah, I think it's cool that Laravel has them out of the box. And that was the inspiration for like the approach I took. And I think it works really well. Like theirs are not, they don't control how anything is really rendered. It's just, here's the delivery methods and you can plug and play. And that's all. It's, it's slick. Yeah, this looks awesome. Not to veer too far off, but you're talking about like putting these notifications and background jobs, things like that. Did y'all happen to see, or maybe even talk about without me, the good job of library? I did. I didn't look into it too much, but I, I saw it on Hacker News of all places. And I was like, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> A Postgres backed active job compatible backend for Rails. So, so instead of it, using Redis, Postgres. And I like It's that. kind of That's like the, the idea is like, what if we had Sidekick, but a better version of Delayed Job almost or whatever? Because Delayed Job was Postgres backed. And I know a ton of people use it because of that. And then there's that other one, Sneakers. And it's similar with, with like more permanent storage, if I remember right. But yeah, I thought that was cool. It's exciting to see another thing because I always default to sidekick for everything, you know, personally. Yeah, I do too. And I'm really comfortable with sidekick. I'm like, I would be like nervous to be like, we should put Podia on this tomorrow. But like, I would be interested to try it and something a little less that requires less background jobs, I guess, because I don't know. It's I trust Postgres with a lot of things. So why not? Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things is like, Redis is not great for Redis or, or Sidekick or whatever. Like it's not great for canceling jobs. So you have to kind of bake in the concept of like this job shouldn't run into the logic of your job in Sidekick. And if you have a Postgres back job, you just look up the database record and delete it, you know, and it's canceled or whatever. So if you need something like that, I think this is a really cool, you know, alternative to that. So I'll be curious to see. I'm sure someone's going to, you know, benchmark these uh, with Postgres and Sidekick or, you know, Sidekick using Redis as the back end and see if it's slower or whatever. But it's, you know, it's probably a little bit designed to solve maybe a little bit different of a problem if you've built stuff that doesn't quite fit the Redis backed thing but we we use sidekick and we've looked at like upgrading to like sidekick pro and enterprise but we use active job pretty heavily too like that api and some of those features apparently don't work well with active job and so that's kind of like it says that in the like wiki for uh sidekick but that's kind of deterred us right now is like I don't know. Do we want to kind of back out some of our active job isms in order to like fully embrace sidekick or not? That's what I did on, on hatchbox. Like a lot of my background jobs were in uh, originally it was all active job and I've started moving stuff into sidekick only code. And there was something that was like, 
I forget where I read it. Maybe it was in the Sidekick Wiki, but active job adds like a pretty significant overhead in the processing speed of jobs. So if you go with Sidekick directly, it's like way quicker, which I thought was kind of interesting. And yeah, there's abstraction through there, through active job. That's all it does. So of course, it's going to add some overhead, but it was like a lot more than I thought it would be. Uh, Also, I just found this Q benchmark that somebody's already written that has active job async, active job delay job, active job good job, active job sidekick. It's like scripts, I guess, that will run all this for you. There's nothing in like the readme or anything, so you'd have to like dig into it, but it's interesting. Yeah, this looks cool. It looks like this is a pretty recent endeavor, so... I'm sure the readme will get filled out sooner or later. Yeah. Let's see here. It looks like it was started six days ago, maybe. Anyway, that's cool. They've already done it, Chris, from the time you spoke it to now. <laughs> of course. Well, you got to manifest your reality or whatever. <laughs> Just manifested some gem benchmarks. Yeah. If someone wants to manifest the rest of my notifications library, that'd be great. Oh, that's a, that's a big... So you have to pay extra for that. <laughs> so I've been kind of in experimental research and development mode the last few weeks. So we have our, what we call our editor at Podia, which is like a live website editor, a storefront editor. And we're wanting to, you know, improve it and make some future changes to it, but we are revisiting how we do it right now in terms of the existing editor and like how it works under the hood. Cause right now it's a, is Buku's of JavaScript, Buku's of just stimulus code. And now that we are adopting things like cable ready and stimulus reflex, we thought, what could we do with that? And so, yeah, we've been experimenting, trying to kill some of the JavaScript. And the first thing we're doing is update, doing our live preview updates in the editor over cable ready. And we have delivered a few of those pieces. So they function just like the normal editor does, like in the front end, but like in the back end, we're kind of load testing it right now. And it seems to be working okay. Pretty cool. What kind of benefits are y'all seeing, if any, yet? So as part of this... It's unrelated to Stimulus Reflex and Cable Ready per se. We started all of our existing like page sections for the editor are written as partials, uh, Haml partials at that. And so... Nice. Uh, yeah, that's what some people say. And so we've started migrating each section we work on to a view component. And that's actually been one of the biggest benefits is now... Like we can pretty safely just render a component and know that given the same inputs every time, it should give us what we expect. So we're doing that actually. We will be doing that for like page render. And when we do the preview, actually what we're doing is just reinstantiating a component and morphing it, just broadcasting that morph. It's pretty slick. I like that. It's a good combination of view component and cable ready. I like that. Yeah. It's cool. Like before, we would have a JavaScript preview controller that's tied to like a form input. And when the input would change, the controller would talk to 
this middle layer that's between like the app and the iframe that's rendered or the preview. And so then we had another controller on the preview side. So like every update you made had to like go through this process to change something on the page. And so for every thing you wanted to add to the editor, you had to write glue code for the preview. But now what we do is, since the preview is a component, essentially what we do is just, we have a data reflex and it's like the same for every input. And we have one reflex method for students reflex and it's like update page section. And so we just send all the params over to Reflex. Reflex then doesn't morph. So like Reflex won't update the form or anything. But what it does is then we use cable ready and broadcast to the preview. We just send the whole component as a cable ready morph. And so we don't have to worry about any of the logic for when I update this text field, this certain like element should change. It's just smart enough to know that, like, given the set of params, this is how this component should render. And so it's not only like simplified our, like, so far for this new mechanism, we only have eight lines of JavaScript, and all that's doing is connecting stimulus reflex and cable ready. The rest of it is just like view component logic. And so it's a lot simpler to understand. I think, I think what we're going to find is that we're going to reduce a lot of the complexity and just overall lines of code involved in this process. That is the overwhelming benefit of using cable ready and stimulus reflex. It's like, oh, all that JavaScript code that we wrote now can just go away. Yeah. The one of the tricky things is so we we give you like color pickers and you can drag. And so we can't really in good conscience afford to send thousands of drag events. So actually what we did was we took Nate's debounced library and we wrote a throttled version. And so it uses, it actually uses Lodash's throttle under the hood, but it exposes throttle as an event. So now in our reflex, like we just say throttle input as the event and then fire the reflex. And so it's set at like, I don't know, 50, 60 milliseconds, but it's reduced like hundreds of calls to stimulus reflex. So as you drag, at most, it sends one every 50 milliseconds and it still, it still feels just right. Like it still feels like it's real time because when it was JavaScript, we could just afford to just every little detail you move just instant. But if you do that, you start like kind of breaking down reflex and things like that. It doesn't handle. Yeah, you'd be <laughs> skipping over it in that case. And then you go down that rabbit hole of like, this is editing the preview directly, whereas everything else is like going through the, the web socket. And yeah, then you can end up with spaghetti that way. You don't want yeah. that. So we still, we still send it, you know, just as part of the re-render process. And it just keeps it clean, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the one thing actually we ran into without doing that was we had, we were doing database lookups just as like the first proof of concept, but we can't afford to look up the database every time we preview. And so actually what we do is we've made like a serialization tool in these components and since stimulus reflex sends params, 
we just take those params and we may have to tweak them a little bit. But so each component really, it has the ability to know how to get its params from a like from a database record if it needs to, but it, it doesn't have to. Like we can just give it params and it knows how to render from those. And the reason we did that is because when we were looking up in the database, we actually started running into race conditions where one preview, the first preview might bottleneck where the second one went through. So then the second one updates, but then the first one comes in. It's like, never mind, here I am. And obviously that is not what you want. So yeah, the debounce and throttling stuff helps a lot with that because then you're you're not in case something takes too long, you're not going to be sending it too often. And hopefully it should complete within the 50 milliseconds or whatever that the first one had to to complete. So that's good. Yeah. It was actually so my coworker Kyle, it was how his idea to use throttle and it's actually the better choice for the live updates because debouncing would always end up with some kind of little delay, right? Because it's always just pushing back the execution a little bit. Where throttling is still sending it, it's just, if I have like 100 meters of rope, it's only sending it like every 10 meters, right? So uh, it's cool. Are y'all doing database queries from your components? Or are you passing that data, like in- injecting it in? Well, so we're not, from, from the preview, we're just sending params, right? We're not doing any database lookups. But when we render a page at that time, we can afford to do a database lookup. So what we're actually doing is we still send in params. Like if, if I have a page section, what, I'll, what we do is we convert it to params. And if it relies on like, say like a product or something external, then what we do is we send that ID in and we'll actually, we'll do the lookup there, but we'll also cache it using Rails cache.fetch. That's pretty cool. Sounds like y'all are doing some pretty cool stuff over there. Yeah, we've been, we've been really excited to work on this. We've been through several iterations of it. The first iteration was like having a text field map to... Essentially, we were kind of exposing cable-ready over stimulus reflex methods. So we had like where our first iteration was like when you update this heading, there's like a data attribute of like what the element it corresponds to on the preview is. And so then we would then use cable-ready be like, go find that element and replace it. But then you, you end up with a lot, of, a lot of code. And this way, this way, I mean, it's kind of... It feels like, you know, it's pretty dumb. We just, it feels like we're cheating and it's amazing. So that is, that is the best feeling. Like, wow, it shouldn't have been this easy. It wouldn't have been this easy not too long ago, but yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. We, we had considered, I think before we had started using Reflex, we had considered redoing this in React and React wouldn't have necessarily solved the problem we had. Like the complex part of this isn't so much like the forms, it's the live updates. And we'd still had to have some kind of mechanism for that. And yeah, the other thing we're thinking about doing form side is, so right now it's over Ajax, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to try out just adding another reflex action that goes to a separate reflex into bouncing it so like essentially like as you're typing in text field 
it's updating the preview every so milliseconds, but it's only to bouncing to save like every 500 milliseconds. And those two things work separate of each other. And that still feels like a really simple mechanism for this. So, yeah, that seems like a good approach if I was to like think through that problem a little bit. But yeah, if you don't need to save every time you want to update the page, then yeah, that seems like a good option of having two, two reflexes. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited to see where it ends up. It's going to be a lot of work. Like we have a lot of, we're doing this incrementally and all the work we're doing is actually only like the first phase of like the actual changes we want to make to the editor, right? Like we want to improve on it, things like that, but we also want to kind of get it to where it's easier for everyone to understand. And this could make it easier to build upon too. So. You guys have the chat and that and several other things using Action Cable now, right? Yeah, we have messaging using Action Cable with React. We have some messaging notifications that happen throughout the CMS that happens over Action Cable. We do like creator presence and things like that over Action Cable. And now we've been doing a lot of reflex. We, we've expanded reflex probably now into four or five parts of our application. That's pretty impressive. Has it still been working out without having to move to any cable yet? Yeah, and the reason is because the only places we've been using it so far in our CMS, and we already have action cable connections for everyone in the CMS because that's how we like we track different things of like presence and things like that if they have it turned on. So it hasn't been a bottleneck for us because we're used to that load of connections anyway. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, that's good. I think a lot of people are scared of, you know, scaling it and clearly Basecamp's doing it at a massive scale with all the connected users on, on Basecamp. So that's, that's a lot of connections. Uh, I'm sure they're, running several servers for it. But yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, it, it seems like people's kind of, you know, worry when it comes to deploying Action Cable. Can it hold up? And yeah, it seems like it. And actually, when we were pushing the bounds of Action Cable, the connections themselves weren't the problem. It was deployments because when we had reboot all those connections to try and reconnect, they call it like a thundering herd problem. And that, like, that was the only real issue for us. And we just scaled back some of our connections we didn't need. But any cable is on our radar. Like, it's a thing we've, we've talked about since the beginning. It's just like, there's, when you're doing it on Heroku, it's a little difficult because you have to set up, you have to stand up a separate Rails app. And so we're not like necessarily in a rush to add another layer to our application like that. Yeah, because I don't know how you deploy updates to that app, you know, because it's like running, because Heroku's like ports and things are limited, which is why you have to do it as a separate app, if I remember right. And yeah, that ends up causing, I don't know, potentially because it's just, you know, more or less communicating between these services, like you wouldn't have to upgrade that very often. Maybe whenever you upgrade the AnyCable gem, but it's interesting to think about that because now it's a whole other piece of the puzzle you've got to manage. And 
it, it's another thing that could go down, you know, and, and that's like, in a lot of cases, I tell people just use Redis for your caching and for sidekick and whatever else, because it's only one other service you have to worry about, which is good, you know, keep it minimal. And then it, once you need it, then go expand, but you know, don't throw Elasticsearch in there from day one. If PG search can get you by, it's one less thing to worry about. And yeah, at some point you'll need it, but you know, if you don't have to, it's, it's worth pushing off. That's kind of the development team's like entire view of things at Podia is like, how far can we push something before we have to do it? Because I don't think, like you said, like I don't think we want a bunch of failure points that we're all responsible for. So like we run multiple Redis instances, one for like caching, action cable, and sidekick. And even that's like, whoa, we have three instances running. Like that's a lot. We should be careful what we do, things like that. So we'll see where it gets us. Also, we're hiring. So if any of this is interesting or you want to come solve all the problems I've mentioned, we will put a link to this, to the application in the show notes, or you can reach out to me. My email is jason at jasoncharns.com, jason at podia.com, or you can tweet at the remote Ruby Twitter. I, I lurk. You lurk. That's good to know. I Just in case I never need to throw up the bat signal. <laughs> you did that one time. You've done it a couple of times. I've seen you get my attention that way. Yeah, just a, just like a flare. Just like I could message him, but for whatever reason, usually I want to share it with other people. And I'm like, I also want Jason to see this. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame we could have been hired a couple of weeks ago, though, because you have landed a gig. I have landed a gig. It is a shame because messing with Andrew Femera all day long just seems like a dream. But Yes, I have a new job and I'm very excited to be done interviewing. So I am joining Realvolve. They do work in the real estate industry. And I am also joining alongside Eric Berry, who also got a job with them, although I believe he's getting paid more. (laughs) So I think I mentioned two weeks ago that I had finally found some companies that I was like, okay, this might be the one and Realvolve gave me the best offer. That's what I'm doing. And also it'll be nice to decide someone I'm incredibly comfortable with. So not just being thrust into a new situation. It's super exciting, man. How big is the team you're going to be on? Do you know? They merged with another company. So it's actually kind of two teams that are now coming together as one. And they are not that big, like a small, medium-sized development team. Okay. Do you know is that... 50 people or, you know? No, no, no. Like small, small, medium. I don't know. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but probably like less than 20. Oh, nice. So maybe small is a better word for it. Small team. I mean, it's such a big range these days. Right. You know? Yeah. A, you would think Stripe is large, but then that's like thousands of engineers, you know? And like, what is in between? Hundreds? I guess. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> when I think of a small team, I think of like Code Fund, where it was basically me and then sometimes Eric and Nate. So, yeah. like to me, yeah. that's small and medium is like more than like 10 people. Yeah. It's so funny, like how much that can vary, 
between companies and stuff and how quickly it can grow too. It's pretty crazy. Like Jason, you joined Podia when it was just a handful of people. Yeah, I was employee, happy. employee number seven or eight. And we're yeah. at 25 now. 25. That's awesome. It's exciting. And nice. I'm sure you've seen too, like the changes that have happened on like, things can be a lot more run and gun when it's seven or eight people versus like 25. Like there's a lot more coordination that you have to do. Yeah. We have like a, we actually have like release processes, things like that. You know, before when I first joined, we were just shipping quick. Uh, we still ship quickly, but we have guidelines for shipping quickly now. So, yeah. So I'm excited mostly because I need rigidity back in my life. Although, would they, they asked when I wanted to start, and I was kind of thinking about it. And I was like, maybe I need one more week to you know, just do nothing. But I was like, no, I've been doing nothing for a solid amount of time. I was like, so Eric and I start this Monday, which I guess is like third. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm ready to get rolling and excited to not be jobless anymore. Well, it's good to have the interview process over. I feel like it can be, it can go wildly because I have a friend that was in, he's in LA and is a, like a project manager and he spent a solid nine months or something looking for a job. And there's so much of like finding, you can find lots of jobs or companies that are hiring, but finding one that you actually like is a whole different ball game. You know, that is, that is what makes it tough. You can definitely just go find a random rails job pretty quick, but finding one you love or will love, that's, that's a whole other question. DHH is closing their operations team job applications on Sunday, I think. Saturday or Sunday this weekend. Yeah, that'd be a fun one if you were into Kubernetes and stuff. I can't even imagine how many emails they've got to process with Hey now. <laughs> it's got to be insane. Yeah, yeah, and they said they were hiring like three or four more developers, I think, too. Like, yeah, I was surprised they... They made it as far as they did without having to onboard new people. Like, because you took an entire product team and then split their attention between two products. Like, that's really impressive. Yeah. And, and supposedly, well, you can't forget too, like, they're maintaining Basecamp 3 and Basecamp Classic and stuff. I'm sure that doesn't take much time these days, but they've got that. They're working on Basecamp 4. And, you know, then hey is like uh, I don't know that that is a massive undertaking to to build, and it helps that they have like a much smaller scope than you know a lot of the other email services, which is why they're kind of pushing off the um, custom domains and stuff. But still, you know, email is we get so many thousand emails a day per person, and then then you have I'm sure people who get just like ridiculous things in performance improvements getting extracted from like GitHub and Shopify and stuff, Bootsnap, and then the multiple database support from GitHub. And, you know, I, I can imagine that Hey is going to have some good stuff trickle down the pipeline to open source. If they, if they ever get around to open sourcing the new turbo links and you know, stimulus oh, no. stuff. I was, I was just about to ask you too. I, I want to touch one thing before we're done, but if you guys had to guess, when are we going to see Rails 
Just if you were just to throw a number out, or I guess a oh date. Boy. Or I don't just, know. It's the end of July. You know, I don't know. I would think, I would like to think like September, October, but. Yeah, I'm going to guess it's December or something. I'm going to throw October. We can lay our predictions down and see who gets it right. (laughs) I would love it to be sooner than later. I think they're very distracted with growing the team enough to support everything, it seems like. So, and they're, they're having lots of fun going after Apple. So, understandable. One thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is, do you guys know anything about Ruby for Good? I know of it. I, I think I saw some people talk about they went online this year, but other than that, that's all I know. I think it was a kind of like a hackathon type deal where basically they would get a bunch of people to work on like open source Rails projects and Ruby projects that benefited the community in some way. And they're doing an online event this year. But what they also have is basically a bunch of Rails apps that they're working on that benefit some sort of organization. Like they have an app called CASA, which is a volunteer management system for the nonprofit CASA, which is an organization that serves foster youth in counties in America. They also have one for Diaper, which is for an inventory system for diaper banks and stuff like that. So they're working on a bunch of really cool projects to help areas of the community that need developers and developer uh, resources, but can't pay for it because they're a nonprofit or this or that. So I rem- I knew that this was going on, but I completely forgot about it. And I was reminded about it by a developer on Twitter named Colin. Yes. And he's in a boot camp. And I told him at one point that if he ever found something he wanted to pair on, that I would be willing to do that. And he, at some point, reminded me in like some offhand Twitter notification that Ruby for Good was still going on. So I told him if he picked out an, an issue that we could pair on it. And I was like, this is something like I could start doing as well, but haven't a major chance yet. But I paired with Colin, I guess, last weekend. And we just picked an issue off their issue tree. And they have ones that are labeled for whether or not uh, someone in the community could pick them up. And we picked up an issue and read through it and then worked through it and got it merged in. So that was, that was pretty fun. So I'm just encouraging anyone out there with the time or capability to go kind of check out the Ruby for Good projects and see if there's some stuff you can contribute because I think it's a worthwhile endeavor, especially when, I mean, I know like I will create projects for myself and this seems like a, something like I have that tendency and I want to do stuff like that, but this is like a great, like this project already exists and it's for a good cause. So diverting some of my attention away from my random projects and going to try to do some more contributions on that side. So yeah, that's, that's my spiel. Cool. Well, Chris, I know you've got time limiting, so you had to wrap up here, but good to catch up with y'all. Anything else I want to say before we sign off? If anybody wants to take a look at the gym I'm working on for notifications, take a look at github.com slash exit three slash noticed. Definitely, if anybody wants to like contribute to the first open source project or whatever, like might be a good one. So yeah, I'm excited. And you said you wanted to completely type it with Sorbet, right? <laughs> yeah, we didn't even get to touch on what's the new one called? RBS? RBS, yeah. Yeah. I haven't read too much on that, but maybe we can talk about that next week. 
type stuff is going to be it's cool there's so many different implementations on it it's exciting yeah i'm gonna try it actually this week so maybe i will if i'll try to get around to that and then we can have a good educated conversation about it cool all right well i guess we shall sign off and talk to you guys next week later skaters